Greetings, friend. Welcome back to the Wayfarer Podcast. I'm Tom Vanderwell. Thanks so much for joining me again on this chapter a day journey. Hey, when I began transitioning these chapter a day blog posts at TomVanderwell.com to the Wayfarer Podcast, I was in the middle of the books of Exodus. And that was, uh, yeah, just over a year ago. So I'm going to go back to May 12, 2020. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to pick up the first 13 or 14 chapters of Exodus so that the complete book is available on the podcast. So we're going to start with Exodus 1, and I pulled out verses 8 through 10. It says, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Today's podcast is entitled, Of Tribe and Time. When it comes to a film, the first shot the director gives you is always an important one. In movie terms, it's called the establishing shot, and most casual viewers don't realize how important it is to provide you with the setting, the environment, and the emotion. In many cases, the establishing shot will foreshadow the entire theme of the movie with one quick visual. For those interested, you can go to this post at tombanderwell.com. It's linked in the description of the podcast today, and I've given you a little YouTube video with the 10 best opening shots of all time. Likewise, great authors provide readers with a literary version of an establishing shot. The opening prologue or chapter lays out the scene for the reader. So in today's chapter, the author of Exodus establishes the scene for the story and the journey on which I am about to embark. At the end of Genesis, Jacob, also known as Israel, and his 70 descendants and their families, flocks, and herds had migrated and settled in the area of Egypt to escape a famine. His long-lost son, Joseph, was Pharaoh's right hand and had welcomed him and provided for them. Exodus now picks up the story, and in the establishing shot, we find that Israel's descendants have settled in Egypt and have been fruitful in multiple ways. His sons and grandsons are growing their families, having lots of babies, and each is becoming his own tribe. Between Genesis and chapter 50 and Exodus chapter 1, we've gone from one Hebrew tribe to 12 growing tribes. The problem is political winds have shifted. In ancient cultures, we're talking about 3,500 years ago, the world was harsh, violent, lawless. It was a brutal place. It was tribal. You were born into a tribe, your tribe protected you, and life was about surviving against other tribes. Some tribes, like Egypt, had successfully become nations, but every nation and every tribe was focused on protecting themselves against the threat of other tribes bent on conquest. In Egypt, the new pharaoh, that is the Egyptian ruler, and his administration take stock of the fact that Israel's tribe has become tribes, plural, and they have slowly proliferated within Egypt's kingdom and territory. Now that is a threat. Remember, it's a tribe versus tribe world. Having that many people from a foreign tribe living in their kingdom was scary. 
It was one thing to protect yourself from an attack from outside. It's another thing if a tribe living among you goes rogue. From a political perspective, Pharaoh had to address the threat. So he moves to persecute the Hebrew people living among them and to limit their population growth. In the quiet this morning, I find myself mulling over both the differences and similarities in our world. It's that point of tension between two extremes. On one hand, the world has changed drastically in 3,500 years, and that's the reason many 21st century readers struggle mightily with the brutality and violence of the ancient stories in the great story. If I want to understand the great story, I have to be willing to embrace that. I will never fully understand ancient history, yet embrace the understanding that it has value in the context of a larger, eternal narrative. On the other hand, I also find myself muttering that there's nothing new under the sun. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. In China, the government is persecuting people groups and religious groups within their population to try and stop their proliferation. They also have, over recent decades, infamously adopted birth control measures eerily similar to Pharaoh, allowed girls to live, but not the boys, in an effort to control the political and economic threat they feel from population growth. It also strikes me as I mull things over that the same tribalism at the root of the Egypt-Hebrew conflict presented in today's chapter is at the root of everything from benign sports rivalries to toxic racial, social, nationalist, and religious prejudice. I also think of gangs, cartels, crime organizations, religious denominations, political parties. Humans are still tribal in a myriad of ways. When Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, he told the story of the good Samaritan. When Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well, when he told the story of the good Samaritan, when he healed the child of a Roman centurion and sent his apostle to the ends of the earth, he was pushing his followers beyond their tribe. He prescribed a different type of conquest in which tribal boundaries are breached with love and proliferate generosity, understanding, forgiveness, repentance, and redemption. That's the tribe with whom I ultimately wish to be associated. I hope you have a great day, my friend. We'll see you back here tomorrow.